And welcome to this broadcast belongs to them. Ralph, I thought you lived in Florida. I just did this right now. I just somebody told me earlier you can do this on Zoom, and I just yeah. did it. Yeah. You moved. I got a background. I just clicked the background thing and choose the first one I saw. You know what's funny about that? I was reading the book that came with the volume four super deluxe earlier, and they're talking about the early days, and Ozzy comes out with what is this shit? If you go to San Francisco, be sure to wear a flower in your hair. I've got no shoes on my feet, mate. <laughs> well, this isn't about Ozzy, but uh, actually talk about Ozzy just for a second. Um, no more tours for Ozzy. Poor Ozzy. He lives to tour. He lives to perform. He does. This is so. a gut cry. This is a this is a blow yeah. to that poor man. He needs to relax, though. He's got so many health issues and Parkinson's. Come on. He doesn't want to. I don't think he's going to last long, frankly. No, probably not I don't know what she's on Sharon, but I hope she goes before him so she doesn't have to pick at his bone, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, hey, we are back with the King Diamond podcast. It's been a while. It's been yes. probably a year since we did this show, I think. I don't know. Seems like a you year. might be right. It might be. But... Uh, <laughs> But actually, uh, this episode is going to feature a interview that me and Lisa did, I think, two years ago <laughs> with Matt Thompson. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was so awesome. So Thank finally... you for that, Wayne. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Yeah, it was, that it was, was a great interview. Cool. So everybody's going to get to see, uh, finally get to see that interview. And it was real fun. And uh, we're trying to get King Diamond on the show. I, I've, I've got to hook up for King Diamond. So hopefully, I'm hoping. Boy. We better say some nice things about this album then. Yes, please watch your mouth. (laughs) Or watch your tongue, as King Diamond would say. Uh, But today we are doing, or we are up to, Abigail 2. The uh, sequel to Abigail. Uh, I don't know if we needed one, but uh, we got it anyway. And this is uh, The Revenge, by the way. Um so it's actually the, also the, the first uh, album to feature Matt Thompson, which I, I mentioned. And it's also the first to feature Mike Weed on guitar. And also uh, the first album uh, for um, uh, Hal Patino to come back since The Eye. So got some uh, got Hal Patino back in here. It was actually one of my favorite bass players, I think, in the band. Um, so it, it, it's got a good lineup, I think, on this album. What does everybody else think about the lineup? I- agree M- musicianship is 
stellar all over this album. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, especially the drummings, the, the drums feel a little bit more livelier than uh, on House of God, and Matt Thompson really, you know, shines on this album, and yeah. uh, I think everybody does. So, music-wise, I I like it a lot. But um, I'll dig into the plot here because sometimes I think some people think it's a little confusing. Um, the plot correlates uh, with that of the original Abigail, and the listener discovers that she is actually the half sister of O'Brien, the mysterious leader of the Black Horsemen from the original album, and is kept alive by his intervention. Uh, the Horsemen have originally having originally planned to nail her into a coffin with silver spikes to prevent her emerging again. Uh, the year is 1863, and Abigail has just turned 18 years old. While out walking in the forest, she is caught in a storm that makes her, that takes her by surprise, causing her to lose her way and stumble upon the Lafay mansion, the gates to which are locked tight. Certain that she will succumb to the elements, Abigail is surprised to see Little One, the ghost of the original Abigail from, 19, from 1777, unlock the gates and disappear into the house. Abigail enters the mansion and is greeted by Jonathan's imposing and shaven head servant, Brandon Henry. It is revealed that Jonathan did not die after he fell down the stairs, but uses a wheelchair part-time and, and must walk with a cane. He has not moved on from Miriam's death and now calls himself Count de la Fay. He greets Abigail, calling her Miriam and believing she is beloved, uh, who died while giving birth to Abigail. He coaxes Abigail into sleeping with him in his bed, where he rapes her in an attempt to produce an heir. Abigail, fueled with vengeance, goes to the crypt to see her past incarnation. Brandon Henry, who had warned her to never go into the crypt, finds her there. Abigail takes a sharp necklace from the mummified baby's neck, the same one from the eye, and slits his throat. She puts broken glass in Jonathan's food, beats him with his cane while he chokes on his own blood, and then sets him on fire. The flames finally killing him. The fire spreads from Jonathan to the window curtains and finally to Abigail's dress. And she and the mansion are consumed by the flames. As the fire cannot reach the basement and is therefore unable to destroy the crypt, the spirit of little one is unable to pass on and is bound forever to the world of the living, crying out for her mother. So there's a lot to take in there. It's a lot. <laughs> and there's wait, I'm just trying to do the math on the, you're my half sister, and these other horsemen that were like riding around in the rain and shit, and they're like, "Were you gonna tell us this?" And they're like, "Oh, we're gonna kill this evil baby, right? We're gonna do this, right?" And it he sounds like, like no. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds like what would happen if you let George Lucas make it into a uh, series of movies. There's I'm just way too much to... going on there. Or, or, or like the the uh, what is it the the Star Trek Discovery where Spock has a sister. It's like he, Spock never mentioned a sister. Sarek mm. never mentioned no sister. All of a sudden he got a sister. How the hell do you? So I'm trying to do the math. Yeah, I I don't know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you're O'Brien. She is O'Brien's half sister. So explain that to me. <laughs> well, maybe if he ever comes on the show, he will have to explain himself. 
Oh, wait. Like, this is I thought, never mind. And I'm, then, you know. <laughs> and then there's something about being, I was your aunt in another life. I was your auntie. I was your father's sister in another life. Did you yeah. remember that? Did you see that? Okay. Probably. Yeah. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> tell me, this shit is confusing. And why was that why was that necklace on the baby's neck? I don't know. I think he always tries to work in that necklace in every album, somehow. He always mentions the just like he mentions them all the time, and it's always in quotes in, in the lyrics. He's always got to throw the necklace in there. Somehow. Confused, man. <laughs> well, I'm just as confused as you are. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, Ralph, you've been quiet. Go ahead. Well, before I get into the album, I, I mean, I you know, I own everything King Diamond. And this is one that I, it, it didn't do much for me. And I was kind of like disappointed in it. And I think the problem was that I was judging it too much on the first Abigail. Because today, while I was taking notes, I freaking love this album now. Really? Because I remember last time you were on the show, you were bashing it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> taking notes today, and I'm got I'm going, damn. It, you know, the thing is that it, it does have kind of a slow start, but man, it gets so much better. Yeah. It's a really good album now in retrospect. Now I got to go back to, uh, well, I'll wait till we do the review for Give Me Your Soul, please. Because I remember that didn't do much for me. So maybe taking notes for that, I'll, I'll wake up. But I love Puppet Master. But but uh, I was really amazed. So we're going to go into the songs now? Yeah, let's go into the songs. Or Well, you already told us how you think about the album. But yeah, um, the first song, uh, Spare This Life. Yeah, it's a cool, eerie intro with the same voice tone of the first album. Mm-hmm. That guy talking on the intro of the first album. It's cool. It's a cool little, you know, setup. I dig it. Uh, then we go into the storm, an actual song. Uh, I talk about the storm. Yeah. Are we going to talk about spare the first song first? Spare the song. It's by like an song? intro. How do you want to do it? We always do a song. Oh, I, song. oh, that's right. Yeah. That's the yeah. intro. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the only issue I have with that intro is the same issue I had with Fatal Portrait, in that as it goes along, it becomes more and more unintelligible. So I remember when I first had this album. I think I just had it on a cassette and I listened mm. to it in my car. And as it goes along, you know, his voice gets more and it's it's got this effect on it. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. Yeah, so yeah. and have, I'd have to be reading the lyrics, which I didn't read the lyrics. I'm driving my car. So Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I don't know. I understand what he says, but um, I, I think it's cool sound like like uh, uh, Lou. Uh, uh yeah no it's cool sounding uh it's spooky with the thunder in the background the keyboards and uh the, you know the the almost the same talking from the original abigail album so it's a yeah. it's an okay intro what about you greg uh yeah the intro is pretty cool but um I, i'll just say it right now because i was talking to you about this earlier wayne um I mean, I love King Diamond. I love Merciful Fate. He's a great songwriter, but even still listening to this again now, um, it just doesn't do it for me. It's it's very bland. I listened to this four different times over the past week and tried to take notes and just all the songs run together for me. I just, 
couldn't stay focused on it. So I can't, I can't really <laughs> tell you track by track. I don't even really remember the name, but the band plays great. The musicianship on here is great. And there's good, memorable guitar parts, and it has a lot of that creepy, eerie melody King is known for. It's just the songwriting for whatever, for me, just uh, doesn't do it on this one. Well, there's gonna it be some songs that you run together remember. in one big mess, huh? There'll be some songs that you do remember because you did talk to me about some. Broken Glass was cool. Right. I like. I think that's what it was called. We'll get to it. Uh, so then it comes into the storm. Uh, I really like this song. It's a good uh, opener, and I really had a good feeling about the album from this song alone. Uh, King features some vocal parts uh, from the original Abigail album. Uh, which I thought was really cool. Some really groovy guitars and drums felt alive, which was really missing on House of God, like I mentioned before. Uh, it's my second favorite song off the album. What about you, Ralph? Oh, this is a cool tune, cool riff. Uh, nothing wrong with this song to my ears. I, I think people measure their original to this. And sure, That's... it's not as strong as Arrival, yeah. but it's still a pretty kick-ass tune. I, I really dug it. I like the storm a lot, actually. What about you, Lisa? Yeah, I think it's a classic opener for a King Diamond album. And so, you know, it's got a classic King Diamond riff, pounding drums, and it has what I call the the, the Muppet. <laughs> oh, no. You know, <laughs> it was hours ago when she left her home. You know, that kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. thing going on. And it's a good mix. There's a kick-ass solo, and there's lots of changes and riffs going on in a, in a pretty relatively short song so it actually sounds like it's longer than it really is because there's a lot going on yeah. and it is pretty typical um of a lot of king diamond but you know for for this track at least it's kind of like hey if it ain't broke it's a good formula do it right uh greg you got anything for this one i really like the riff in this one and i was excited when it started and then like i said i just hey, no. <laughs> I feel really bad saying that because mm. I like pretty much everything he's done. Well, we'll get to the other one later on. But yeah, um, yeah I was just amazed how it just kind of all faded together. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like one long song in a way, kind of the whole album, because it kind of doesn't stop each song, kind of just like leads into the next one. Uh, but uh, Mansion Sorrows next. Um, they tried to do something similar with the intro as the song The Mansion on the original Abigail. Unfortunately, uh, this song isn't as good as that one, but it's okay. Probably my third favorite uh, off the album. I do like it. You know, I thought it was cool to, to have that sort of like uh, flashback to the, the original album. What about you, Ralph? Uh, not a strong chorus on this one, and some parts of the verses is lackluster to my ears, but that's about it. It's like 30% of this song is like whatever. But the rest is pretty killer, especially the musicianship. Um, yeah, there was just some parts that I just felt, yeah. But it was like, yeah, it was the good outweighed the bad. Let's put it that way. Yeah, my Lisa. Yeah, I, I like it. It's you know, it's got Andy LaRock's fingerprints all over it you oh, know, yeah. musically, but in a way, it sounds like, and the musicianship is you know out of sight. The drums are stellar. Um, but the lyrics seem a little like they're a little forced in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what happens in some of these, the, uh, the King Diamond and Merciful Fate albums, or it's the King Diamond albums that are like, I'm going to tell a story during an entire album. It's like, 
okay, I got all these lyrics and I got to jam them in here. And right. so it doesn't really have the chorus isn't that catchy. You know, I like the, the creepy henchman part of the story. You know, yeah, I like yeah, that. It's like Igor showing up. <laughs> but, um, and I was wondering what the chorus meant. I thought it was kind of clever because there's some foreshadowing in the lyrics. Right. Yeah, that'd be it. So, what about you, Greg? Anything for that one? No. I really like this one musically, actually. This one reminded me a lot of like classic King Diamond, although, interestingly, it made me think more of Fatal Portrait than the original Abigail. Yeah. But uh yeah, a little too much in the lyrics on this one. That's uh kind of where it fell apart the chorus, but it's a pretty good song. Uh Miriam. Uh decent song. I like the chugging guitars. One thing I'm not crazy about and I think uh King started using them ever since his album is the tambourine. There's an annoying tambourine during the whole thing and uh but it's a decent song nonetheless. <laughs> I thought something was wrong with the stream I was listening to oh. until I realized it was camera. Yeah. What about you, Ralph? Uh, this one's not bad, but it's not great. It's kind of just there for me. It's got some cool riffs, uh, but the vocal melodies kind of bother me in spots. Yeah. Uh, it's not horrible. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's one of my least favorites on here. I think that was the problem I had with this album when I first got it was um, this is the opposite of front-loaded. I think this album gets much better as it goes on. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's there. Lisa does not agree. I don't agree. I think this album started out really strong with that first song. And I think it ha- I think it kind of has this little, you know, it bumps up and yeah. I think there's a lot toward the end that's not that great. But Miriam has I wrote down nice melodic opening verse. I like this song, but it needed a chorus. Yeah. So I think I, that's a lot what of I'm did. Is there's a lot of these, and and here's some of the things that that I noticed is that w- I would go back and I go, oh yeah, that riff sounds like this song, or that riff sounds like this song. Hmm. So I was going back and I was listening to other King Diamond albums, and I was just going, oh god, this song is so good. Oh, that chorus is so good, you know, and <laughs> yeah. just like. So I can't help but compare it right. to other albums. Yeah, but like you mentioned, I think that's what the whole album is missing. There's not many choruses, not many like catchy yeah. stuff that he's usually known for doing. You know, yeah. it's like a few, but it's like towards the end. Yeah, Greg, you got something? Yeah, you look like yeah, you yeah. This is a, well, I had a pretty funny thought when I listened to this one initially. This is really where it kind of takes that dive where I was talking about where this uh, starting with this song and then the next couple, it's very pleasant. It's very very melodic. There's some really cool guitars. The drum work is great, but they just don't stand out. And a lot of it is because the chorus is on it. And when this song played originally and it got to the chorus, all I could think is God. And this is the same guy that wrote gypsy and come to the Sabbath. man. I, ah, I just say he, He's so great. It just it stood out, and it's not that it's necessarily bad. It's just awkward. Yeah. Well, and some of the lyrics are goofy. What was this yeah. thing like? You can even call me Lucy. You can call me Ray. You can call me mm. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's adding characters from other albums, you know. 
from yeah. the graveyard yeah. he was referencing. Yeah. But yeah. the weird thing about that is, other than dropping it as like a name drop Easter egg, it doesn't serve any part of the story. That's what drove me nuts about the references on this record to other mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. It, it it's cool i guess in a fanboy respect but it doesn't really serve the story it's more confusing than anything yeah. well i remember earlier in the storm this is something i forgot to say saying about it, it seems to be alive mm-hmm. yeah. that, and that was like right them. Yep. and then lurking in the dark he says the words lurking in the dark in that album and something about never did she see the eye right yeah you know, so there's all these little references but those are more like lyrical storytelling references that you can use in a lot of different contexts instead of like Lucy. It's like, why are you jamming that in there? Yeah. yeah it's a little sense. goofy, but I get what he was trying to do. Yeah. Uh, little one. I believe this is the first King Diamond song in a long time I, to have someone else besides King Diamond's voice on it with the little girl yelling, Mommy. I remember back, you know, uh, with the, um, what the hell's the album? Conspiracy. You know, that's, I don't remember really mm-hmm. anybody else doing anything on the King Diamond, King Diamond albums. Um, I don't know why, but I'm, uh, what the hell did I write here? I don't know why, but I'm, oh, in the intro where the music stops and she yells, Mommy, creeps me out. I remember listening to it on headphones and just hearing Mommy, I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, as far as the song goes, it's okay. I really like the intro with the acoustic type guitar sound, but once the actual song kicks in, it's just a little bland to me. Uh, there's also a part in here that reminds me of one of the songs from House of God. Uh, the other thing that's missing from this album, too, there was a lot of really cool acoustic guitar work on the original Abigail album. And they kind of do it on here, but it's like with the electric guitars, acoustic thing, you know, and it doesn't work as well. You know, I'd like to hear the a real acoustic guitar doing those things. <laughs> I think it's missing a lot of that. What about you, Ralph? Oh, I like this one a lot. I like it all the way through. Uh, when it kicks in, there's one of the riffs. It sounds like it barred it from... Uh, I even had to go back and listen to At the Graves. Hmm. Uh, there's a riff that's kind of like comes on here, but that's okay. I think it's a cool tune. I, I think it's uh, one of the better ones on here. I really... This is when it started to pique my interest, man. I was like, ooh. <laughs> when i listened to this one today i was kind of like damn i don't remember this song it's pretty damn good yeah. i like the little one it's cool lisa i think i wrote down lots of potential cool guitar licks clever opening instrumental i thought it was really cleverly written and i love it when guitar parts kind of like interlock you know mm-hmm. they share separate spaces and it was just there was a lot of space there uh, cool riffage, but I don't think, you know, there's that guy, Trey Xavier. I don't know if you ever follow him, the metal songwriter guy. He's mm. great on YouTube. And he says, riffs are not a song. Riffs don't make a song. And I don't think the riffs uh, save the song because the chorus is weak. That's a thing that I found in common with, with too much of this album mm. is that I'm not even sure am I listening to a chorus right now? And then I only find out, yeah, I guess that was the chorus because he repeats it later on. But I, yeah, the, the, the musicianship's, you know, out of sight and the riffs are, you know, colossal, but I don't think they saved the song. Greg. Good riffs, but just a really 
kind of boring song overall for me. Yeah. Uh, Slippery Stairs. Uh, really nice guitar solo in the intro of the song and actually throughout the song. I uh, like the guitar melodies in the chorus section. That's all I wrote. Uh, Ralph? Yeah, it's got a great opening riff and solo. Uh, it's a cool tune. I mean, in past, well, maybe one or two King Diamond albums, there's kind of a, oh, we got to, you know, we got to mention this for the story and the story takes over more than the music where I think uh, on this album, the story is uh, fitting the music great. And uh, and Slippery Stairs is part of the story, of course, and it fits it's uh it's cool i think it's really cool i like it i like slippery stairs not as much as little one but i did like slippery stairs this is one where it does a crazy laughing right oh no that's no. the other song okay i got it i just saw it here uh lisa yeah. yeah i i i like this one and it reminds me of another king diamond song that's in 12 8 there's this lick in the beginning of it and mm. i couldn't track it down mm. I didn't have enough time today. I was like flipping around. Was like that's part of the reason I was listening to these other albums. Yeah. So there's it's it's a Laroque thing. It's just just little you know technique that he does. Yeah. Um, the story, of course, takes a really horrible turn. Um, Mike Weed's solo section is fucking amazing. Yeah. I think that's the most amazing solo on the album is you know there's two he does two solos toward the end of the album and mm. that f- second to last one is unbelievably good um yeah i like this one yeah yeah mike weed coming into the band really you know made the band oh, a lot better i mean not that the other guys were not good at all but you know mike i think mike weed fits the band the best you know since you know the earlier albums uh greg uh i really like that beginning and the solo and then Mike Weed solo later on, but this is another one where it's just kind of there for me. It uh, it works well with the story. It just doesn't do a whole lot for me personally. Uh, the Crypt. I really like the guitars in the song. They almost feel like uh, some weird evil carnival type thing. I uh, can't really describe it, but uh, I like this song. I like the back and forth with the acoustic and then to the heavy stuff. Ralph? Yeah, I love this one. This is when it really starts picking up for me. Uh, it's my second favorite on here. I think uh, the, the killer changes are fucking awesome. And it's a heavy-ass tune, and there's a great mood uh, on this song. and It's mm. got a good vibe. I dig it. Yeah. Lisa? Ralph, is this acceptable to you? Yes. yes. <laughs> Notice your T-shirt. <laughs> This acceptable to you? <laughs> Sorry, that's terrible. I know. You know, uh, what did I? What did I? The obscure reference. Um, King doesn't he sound like Alice Cooper in the beginning when he's singing really low? I think he sounds like Alice Cooper. Bit. Yeah, you're yeah. right. That's kind yeah, of cool fast riffage. I wrote this album is not short on badass riffs. But it's low on catchy vocal melodies and choruses and doesn't keep my attention. So I'm going to echo Greg there. This sounds like this this song and some other songs on the album in general. If I'm hanging out with a bunch of people at a party, it, it's cool to put it, you know, play it in the. Hmm. 
I lost sound all of a sudden. Can't hear anybody. Can you hear me? I can't hear anybody. The fuck happened? Hello? My internet connection is unstable. No, <laughs> there we go. It's back. Okay. That's yeah, not. Okay. Shh. <laughs> what well, did you say something about me while I was gone? Yeah. <laughs> I'll find out in the recording. Yeah. <laughs> uh Greg. Uh the crypt. Yeah. Uh, is that what yeah, I think so. I forgot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um the this one, even though the majority of it kind of uh, fades in with the other songs, I like the back and forth of the electric and the acoustic, and that that main riff is really badass. Mm. Uh, broken glass. That's that damn tambourine again, and it's so like out in the open almost. Such a stupid yeah, thing. Don't bother me at all. <laughs> Well, it's funny because I actually uh, on my the album that's coming out soon, I put a tambourine on it only because of this King Diamond because it reminded Good me. For you, it I'm works proud of you, man. <laughs> I'm fucking proud of you, dude. I had to put it in there. What were you saying, Greg? It work. It works on this song, though. It, and it does. It does. It's just so weird, though, hearing him use a tambourine. It just doesn't. It's not King Diamond, you know. It's weird. Well, it it makes sense with like the Puppet Master, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, where did I leave off? Uh, it's such a stupid thing to bother me, but I can't help but hear it. Uh, I laugh at that one part where King uses that deep voice like he's singing in some kind of opera. Uh, oh, yeah, and he's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's cool, it's cool, so but uh, it's actually a good song. I, I do like this one. What about you, Ralph? Uh, which one is it? Broken Glass, Broken Glass, yeah, yeah, it's got a killer intro. Overall, the song is kind of fair. To me, it's not a standout, but I don't hate it. Uh, but it's not one of the better songs on here. I think it gets much better after this. But it does has have a cool solo, as expected. Yeah. Uh, that's how I feel about Broken Glass. What do you feel about Broken Glass, Lisa? I'm glad that it has a mid-tempo feel to it, because I think a, a lot of this album is like, let's have all this fast shit, fast shit, fast shit. It's like, but listening back to some of the earlier albums you know all that kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff that i love more mid-tempo and then you put a fast break in the middle of it so it's nice to get that break but still i feel like it's kind of meandering and it doesn't really it doesn't really go anywhere right you know greg yeah, I, I feel the same way you do. And it's actually funny because after listening to this, I think it was the second time around, um, both the mid-tempo and then the start-stop thing they kind of do here, it reminded me of the Jonah from Fatal Portrait. And I was like, yeah. oh, cool. It's okay. really going to fucking kick in the high gear here. But then it gets to the fast part in the middle, and it just kind of meanders for the next two minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than pain. Uh, my favorite part of the song is King's laugh. Haven't heard him do that too often, but it fits perfectly here, and he does it great. Ralph, I love it. Pretty twisted track with King making those strange noises as well as the laugh. Uh, it's pretty short but effective. I liked it a lot. I like uh, more than pain. It gets better. Yeah, Lisa. 
It's like, I think this is my favorite track on the album because, okay. well, the bass playing is cool yeah. and the vocals are like hilariously over the top. <laughs> and that's what I live for when it comes. It's like, it's so hammy. And he just, yeah. he, he doesn't, it's like zero fucks given. He's given it all. And the best, it kind of reminds me of Spider's Lullaby. Some of the stuff okay. that's on there that's really kind of goofy and twisted and really over the top, I'm losing my marbles kind of mm -hmm. vocals. Yeah. And yeah, those, I because I was kind of like, eh, I'm not really, really into this album. I'm really enjoying listening to it as much as most King Diamond. But those laughs, man, worth the price of admission. Yeah, yeah, I think so. What about you, Greg? I agree. I, I like it strictly just for the vocals and those laughs are awesome. Yeah, those laughs are great. Uh, the Wheelchair. I like this song. I like the harpsichord along with the guitars in the intro and how this song just starts up and goes. In the middle of the song, uh, though, there is a similar section to one of the songs on Voodoo where he's like, drink the chicken's blood. I can't remember what song that was. I actually think that was Voodoo. Yeah, I think it was real. Uh, otherwise, cool song. Some really cool guitar solos in there and had a really good flow. What about you, Ralph? Love how's your, this how's your song flow? so much. This is my favorite track. Favorite track? Yeah. Wow. Uh, we're talking about the wheelchair, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite track. And also, science.com, it's their favorite track. Yeah. Um, there is this fast-paced, total metal vibe to it. It's freaking killer. The wheelchair is my favorite track off this album. Love it. Very cool. Lisa. I don't know, man. I mean, there's heavy drums, <laughs> pounding riffs, solos galore, but they're leaning on the speed and they're leaning on he's leaning on the speed, leaning on the riffage. And it's not to me inspired songwriting or arranging. It's a bunch of cool riffs and you shove some lyrics in it because i it doesn't have like a memorable chorus and it it just i don't know mm -hmm. um and also what is this i was the sister of your fathers in another life what <laughs> abigail goes to west virginia i don't know i don't know man i don't get it so anyway not my favorite but yes it definitely pounds, definitely riffs galore. Anybody who likes guitar and likes guitar riffs, this track is for you. Is it for you, Greg? Uh, you remember it? <laughs> I, I, I remember it in the basics. I can name the individual riffs. No, it's like what you, what you were saying that it reminds me of. It was something you play at a party, you know. You stop after you do your shot, do, do a little air guitar to the cool solos on this. But, um, I mean, I really can't say anything bad about the way it's played. It's just not a very memorable tune overall for me. And that was the problem I kept having with this. I'd hear like, oh, that's a cool part. That's a cool part. But it just Did it develop it's got that more thing, a lot of bass, most of it. And it just kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Spirits. This is my favorite song off the album. Uh, has a really catchy chorus, and it's more along the line of his usual stuff. Uh, this is that one song you can pick from the album uh, as that standalone track, I think. 
there's some really fast double bass going on in here from Matt Thompson. I like how he's able to change the speeds of the double bass. Great guitar work as usual. Ralph. I like this one too. Many changes, got a bit of a twist to it musically, and it keeps me interested. Uh, it's a cool tune. I dig spirits. Lisa. Uh, I think the the vocal harmonies are really stellar. It's got this, there's a second half of the chorus. Again, it was kind of like, are we in the chorus? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. And there's a second half of the chorus where there's this big tritone that kicks in, and that's really cool. And they stick with that and they do an instrumental section after that. And and after and and solos come after that. And I really like that section right there. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of like where'd all the here's the story again this is where i get confused again it's like there's all these spirits oh there's just spirits everywhere and they're just flying all over the place and you're like wait a minute there's abigail it's like how long has this place been haunted is i don't get it (laughs) this is like ghostbusters remember ghostbusters (laughs) where it lets them all go they all fly (laughs) Uh, greg uh, th- this would be my favorite from it. And that, if I was going to pick one song from this to put on a compilation, it would be this one. It's usually the one I do pick for a compilation. Yeah, the um, the story gets a little loose here, but lyrically, I think it works very well, including the chorus on it for me, for this one at least. Uh, mommy, this song is okay, but nothing as good as the usual King Diamond album and songs. Ralph. Oh, I disagree. This is yeah. killer. Oh no. I love when King Diamond does that. Oh no. <laughs> it's like a crow. Yeah. Great harmony solos and awesome mid-tempo track. Uh, I think it's a great ending to this album. Awesome. Love mommy. I think this album is is better as it goes along. That's how I feel. Lisa. Yeah, I like it. It's got a, a, a kind of a chuggy groove to it, and the verse is pretty cohesive. But still, it I don't think much else is. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, it's got some cool grooves in it. And then there's another thing about here's another lyric thing is in the story thing. Only I and a few others know who her mother really is. Oh, it's gonna be a part three. The Countess. And then at the end, it's, it's not your mommy you're looking for. It's yourself. Far <laughs> out, man. <laughs> I don't understand. So you need to get King Diamond on this show so he can explain himself. All right. Write these questions down so when he comes on, we can ask okay. him. Greg? It's an okay, Andrew. Right. All right. Um... Oh, yes, and I also like, wrote like that we... What? Like I said to you earlier, th- this is King Diamond's Beverly Hills Cop 2, world's okayest sequel. Oh. <laughs> I like I Beverly see. Hills Cop 2, I'm and gonna... I like this album. Don't get me wrong. It's just like everything he does, even on the Spider's Lullaby, when it's not a full story, it's usually always memorable in there. This has all the classic elements. It just never really pulls together completely. Hmm. But it's not a bad record. It's just not one of his best. What were you saying, Lisa? I did write down killer drums. 
Yeah. It's a really killer oh, that killed drum song. That song. And and then the album ends. Uh, sorry, dear. It's just uh, I guess that's Abigail crying or whatever in the uh in the basement in the crypt. Yeah, it's a crazy outro, and Abigail's fucked. But yeah. she does like the dark, though. Yeah, that was cute. Yeah, yeah. you should just take it onto the other song, though, instead of making its own track. Uh, so that's the album. Uh, like I said before, the thing with this album is, I think it. Uh, I think to really enjoy it, it has to be listened to all the way through. It's not anything like the original Abigail at all. Uh, there's some vocal things in here. Um, or there but uh, musically not much uh, there's none of those epic acoustic intros or memorable like black horseman or, or seventh day of july family ghost arrival type songs uh there's none of that here and is uh and that's where this fails as a part two uh it didn't have that uh, it didn't have to be a, a copy of you know, of abigail but the song should have been at least up to par as the original album and they're just not but it's Hell, not a, it's not I- a terrible terrible album I'd have taken a a crunchy, memorable riff like Black Devil. Right. Doesn't have to be the original Abigail. <laughs> no, it doesn't doesn't have to mimic, you know, the, the actual the first album, but you know, it it should be at least be kind of up to par for the for something for that album that everybody knows him for, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm always curious about the songwriting process. Mm. And it's like sometimes you write songs from the inside out. And yeah, I was it's like say. this chorus that you get. You, mm. It's like, it's. I just wish he had, like, during this process, like, okay, I've got the story in my mind, but I'm not going to write down anything until I hear it, you know? And let me hear that catchy chorus in my head while I'm taking a shower or driving my car or walking down the street or something. And then, oh, that's it. And then fit your lyrics to that and you can change the syntax or whatever to make it fit. But I think it's just those, those, that's the main issue I have with this album is the lack of memorable choruses. And, and I think that has to do with uh, the songwriting process, not starting from the chorus and working its way out. Well, I think he fixes that on the next album, but we'll see about that when we do the show next um since uh, lisa and ralph you haven't been on here in a while uh what's been going on ralph what's been what have you been doing anything uh Any, no. anything musically or anything what's thrash or die doing anything nothing nothing, nothing still uh, waiting for the boys to get together and uh spoke with the bass player the other day and uh you know we got ideas but no nothing i've been cranking splinter going a lot yeah that's a good album to crank it's awesome. Um, Angel. So that is that'll be out May second. So everybody will hear your uh, your narration May second. Finally, Sweet. look forward to it. And Wayne, I gotta compliment you what? on the drumming on the uh, cover we did of Unholy. Yeah, it's stellar. It's yeah. so good. Thank you. It did come out heavy good. duty, man. Yeah. Really good drumming. Cover. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what about you, Lisa? What's going on with Splinter Throne or White Crone or whatever else you got going on? I know you got a lot of shows going on. We've got some shows coming up, and we've actually got some shows coming up with the Bay Area Thrash Band Blind Illusion. So, oh, I like, yeah, pretty cool, huh? We're gonna be yeah. in Petal. What what is this? Petaluma, California, uh, on April fifteenth, 
uh, when is that? With the Phoenix Theater. We're trying to find a gig in the Sacramento area on April 14th. So wish us luck or in Reading. If you know anybody, let me know. Uh, we have um, Sunday, April 9th. We're doing a show with them at the a place called The Garages in Lake Oswego, south, just south of Portland. So we're looking forward to doing kind of a West Coast run with those guys. And, uh, you know, we're still promoting the album, you know. Mm -hmm. The greater good of man. And, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, if I can get somebody to buy this album, I can justify having Bandcamp Pro. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? And then uh, I'm actually writing new White Crone songs. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. And so I just contacted the drummer and said, hey, we need to start working on some tracks, dude. I've got like three songs that are finally coming together nice. in my spare time. We need to get you out on the East Coast. That'd be cool. We need to yes. Get you here. Yes. We we're we want to do some festivals, man. So we're looking. I know a lot of the stuff that's this year is already booked. It's hard to get into. Oh, yeah. 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 But we would love to pack our asses in the van and go out there. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Maybe we'll get to play a show together one day. Now that would that I would, would I would love to get like you guys together and um e e emissary you played with them not too long ago yeah and uh, yeah. some other bands that we know together and uh, it'd be a cool show we'll see what happens let's make a festival let's do it the Red Sound Review Festival y yes <laughs> we all play King Diamond covers all night. that's all we'll do all night long. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, again, it's been fun uh, getting to have you guys on the show. It's been such a long time. I feel like it's been forever. I miss both of you, and I miss you too, Greg. Oh, I just yes. saw you about it like ten minutes ago. It was really cool. I'm glad. I was going to say I missed the two of them. You, yeah. I seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, hopefully, we'll get to do this uh, sooner rather than later, and hopefully, maybe next week we'll set up a show and do another one. So until then, guys, we will see you then. Goodbye. Oh, and enjoy the Matt Thompson interview. And oh, it was okay. really cool. Yep. Yeah. Oh, link link, what, link what, to what? that for sure. I forgot. What, what? Macamagob. There you go. And Sammy Hagar sucks. Yeah, that's a song ever. Go listen to it now. That's good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. He was one of my uh, top uh top replacements. Huh? Sammy Hagar is one of my top replacements. Yeah, but you're Wayne. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. We're here with Matt Thompson from King Diamond and a bunch of other bands. I, I, you know what? I was on your website just to see like all the stuff about you. And uh, you had this, like this long list of bands you, you've either been involved with or whatever. It's just I, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been that's... doing it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been drumming for? Uh, I started kind of when I was seven, and then I uh, started taking lessons formally when I was nine uh, in oh, my okay. elementary school. All right, cool. Well, your father was a musician, correct? Yeah, that's right. He, um, well, he ended up as a recording engineer for NPR for uh, his career, but uh, he's always been a pianist and a trumpet player. Wow, that's great. So a family full of musicians. It's always that's right. My mother, uh, my, my mom was a violinist. Oh, wow, wow. and they were crazy enough to get you a drum kit. 
That meant rehearsal was at your house. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it was a row house, so it was pretty loud. My neighbors <laughs> had to put up with it, and yeah, I don't understand it. <laughs> well, so what, got, yeah, what got you into playing, getting to play the drums? Um, it was a neighborhood thing, um, uh, just a group of us guys hanging out, and one of us got a drum set. He was like a year older than us, and um, let me turn this ringer off. He, uh, he, yeah, he got a drum set, and we would compete to see who could learn the most beats and who could play him the best and who could play him the loudest. You know, we were pretty young. So then we all ended up taking lessons, and a bunch of us from this neighborhood um, ended up playing drums all the way through school and hanging out together. And we just had this culture of, of drumming mm. that was always there in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, really cool. Yeah, I didn't have no friends like that. I, I actually play drums as well, so that's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Or sorry, uh, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> I was reading on your website, and I saw um, you, were, you were involved with uh, being nominated for a Grammy for the uh, NeverEnding Hill song off of... Um, uh, I, why do I keep forgetting the name of that album? Uh, give me your soul, please. Give me your soul. Why do I? Forget? It's, called... it's right behind me. I am looking at it. <laughs> Never ending hill. But I also noticed you were nominated for a Grammy for a polka song. What is? What was that about? Yeah, that's kind of peripheral. I played on um, one song on this album. Um, Brave Combo is a polka band from the town that I live in, which is Denton, Texas, and. I'm a, I'm friends with those guys. I've known them for a long time. Mm. And I do sessions with them here and there and different gigs and stuff. And um, I did a session for Carl, who's the leader of um, Brave Combo. And he ended up just putting one of the songs on the album. Um, I, I didn't know he was going to put it on there. I thought it was for like a solo project or anything. But anyway, he ended up liking it so much that he put it on the Brave Combo album. And that ended up getting nominated for Best Polka Album. Oh, wow. So I sort of s sneaked my way into that. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So you also are involved with like jazz bands too, right? Uh, yeah, not so much right now. You, you know, um, there's not too many gigs right now. There's mm -hmm. some guys locally who are working, but um, I have a church gig every Sunday and sometimes I play jazz there. But as far as jazz gigs go, I haven't really been doing many gigs with the kids um, I like to go to sleep by nine and I like to wake up around five. <laughs> yeah. Well, there ain't nothing really going on. I mean, even Lisa, she's a musician as well. So she has a band white crone. She also has her, uh, blues music too. So she, yeah. you, neither one of you guys are really touring or doing anything right now. No. So I had, uh, yeah. like a hundred gigs vanish just within a two week period. It was just my entire, all my tours, everything just gone so blues music is my that's how i make a living is blues music and uh so you know you got metal and polka i've got blues <laughs> and metal so you know what the hell but yeah yeah i've been i've been doing a lot of live streaming and my husband's a musician he plays with sugar ray rayford and uh yeah he's been doing a lot of lessons he just did a bass lesson today and so i i you know that's that's what you've been able to do is uh, do lessons online and in Skype or. Yeah. That, yeah. Mostly FaceTime. Um, I've been FaceTime. doing remote lessons for a few, few years anyway. 
So yeah. uh, I, I teach at a private school here in Texas, um, and all of them went remote, and we're still doing that because it's great. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot better, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm here at my studio, and it's like ten minutes from my house. Uh, yeah, so I'm doing that, and uh, my studio is always open for business. So I've been doing a lot of tracking um, for different projects here and there. You know, I finished a bunch of tracks for my band Rathmore, which is like a Celtic rock band. Uh, and we lost, I think, I think we lost like seven or eight gigs when that happened, when like in March, because wow. that hit in March and we're a Celtic rock yeah. band. So we lost like oh. all of our gigs. <laughs> yeah, that was it. That's kind of a drag. Wow. Uh, that was around the same. Yeah. Was that, was that around the same time the King Diamond concert was over too, right? His tour. <clears throat> uh, I got lucky with King. We did two major tours um, in 2019. We did Europe and the U.S. And finished it up in December, so it was well before the okay, COVID thing. Still... We had, we had to cancel two shows. We, we yeah, we canceled Sao Paulo and and Santiago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we had those two shows booked, uh, and we had to cancel those. Yeah. yeah, that sucks. Everything's canceled, even his Merciful Fate stuff. But everything's getting rebooked again. So hopefully next year this will be all said and done with. So yeah, right. Um, all right. So <laughs> let's hope. Oh, Oh, there was a one, one other thing I wanted to see uh, mention because um, I was when I was reading through your thing. Uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Uh, it was Dan Spitz's other band, uh, Do Monkey or something. How, <laughs> yeah, how were yeah, you? Yeah. How did you get involved with that? You're digging deep, man. Wait, yeah. Um, hey, where are you guys located? I, I went, I, I'm in I'm New York. Oh, okay, both of you. I'm no, in, Por in Portland. Portland, Oregon. Where? Oregon, West Coast. Port Portland's still there. Yeah, she's one of the last people left. <laughs> no, well, people think people think that Portland was on fire because of the protests. When it really was just like a three-block area yeah. that was that had protests, it was really the, the whole city has been completely normal this entire time. But now Portland is literally almost on fire because all the surrounding communities uh, have fires, and I have dozens of friends that are evacuating or are evacuated or have lost homes already now. So send some good mojo our way. Cause it's, uh, it's really bad. It's dark outside already. And it's not even six o'clock. It's really smoky, hard to breathe. It's really, it's, it's pretty devastating out here right now. So send, send well, us, some, you know, do a rain dance or something for us. <laughs> it's are you in danger, Lisa? Uh, we live up against a park that is bone dry. There's a creek that runs in the back that's pretty much gone. So the fires aren't near us. But if somebody if somebody sparks something up up here, you know we're not going to have much chance. So we we figured out you know we can get all the instruments in the van and get the important things. And so we have things that are semi ready to go. But we we haven't gotten a warning yet. So. Yeah. Well, I know you guys spark it up in Oregon, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, it's like, you know, don't spark it no, up. I'm sorry. It, it, wood pile there. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be a joking matter. Uh, sorry to change the yeah. subject, man. You were talking about, you're talking about do monkey or duh monkey. I'm not yeah. really sure how that's yeah, pronounced. Yeah, whatever it's called. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it was a thing, um, Dan Spitz. I think put out an ad. How did this go down, man? Okay, yeah, he put out an ad, maybe on even Craigslist. Or I, I'm not actually sure where he put the ad out, but a friend of mine in town who's uh, an engineer producer, 
and he runs a studio, he, he contacted me and said, hey, man, is this something we should go for? So we kind of both contacted Dan at the same time. And he so that's kind of how we hooked up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had met Dan previously in 2006, I think, in Copenhagen. Anthrax was doing a reunion and King had the night off in Copenhagen that night and we I ended up hanging out with anthrax that night. That was cool. And I got to meet him and, mm. and anyway, but, I, but that wasn't how this went down at all. We answered an ad and I ended up doing a bunch of tracks for him and I don't think it really went anywhere. Uh, yeah. That's what I was going to say, because I, I remember it was like this big build up to this whole thing and then it just like fizzled out. So, and then when I saw you were part of it, I'm like, when did anything even happen? So, well, I, I also know that um, Dan took up a cause, you know, he, he's got a, um, either one or two um, autistic kids. So mm-hmm. he took up a big cause about, um, mm-hmm. he went on tour and I think he was raising money for a uh, charity. And I think it was called Autism Speaks, if I remember correctly. I don't know if I should plug it or not, but anyway, it seems like a good cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think his his focus went in that direction, actually, is what happened. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so never, never happened that with that, out, uh, that band. So, all right. All right, so then... How did you get involved with King Diamond? I noticed you were going to like a, a from what your your website says, you were going to a college or whatever, and then all of a sudden King Diamond contacted you, and then you were in King Diamond. So how did that really happen? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Really? You nailed it. No, no, it's more a little more complicated. <laughs> uh, the deal is, uh, I was in Dallas from '92 on, um, playing gigs, you know, scrapping and. Um, I played all kinds of gigs and all kinds of scenes, and I ended up uh, one of the studios I was working at was Nomad Studios, which is in Carrollton. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first act I played with there was Michael Harris. Michael Harris um, contacted me to play on his Surgeon album. It's an album called Surgeon Encyclopedia of the Insane. Okay. Um, that I played on with Michael Harris. It's, it's heavy, it's progressive, it's really cool. And Michael Harris started doing his stuff at Nomad, so then I did, and I started getting work. And Nomad is where King Diamond was recording King Diamond and Merciful Fate at the time, through the 90s. He did mm-hmm. all of this stuff there. And also in the uh, early 2000s, when I joined. And the owner of Nomad is good fr- was good friends with King, is good friends with King, sorry. I mean, back then too. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with me, you know, I got to know Gary pretty well. And Gary told me that one day King heard uh, Encyclopedia Insane by Surgeon coming through the monitors and said, oh, man, that drummer's good or something like that. I don't remember the exact words or whatever. And I was like, Gary, if King ever needs a drummer, you know, you got to tell him to call me, man, because, uh, you know, the music's right up my alley. You know, boom, boom, boom. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, years went by and I kept working in Nomad and, you know, nothing. And I was going to UNT and then uh and then it just kind of came together you know he needed a drummer and he called me like it was really two weeks after i got my diploma man oh really (laughs) i was thinking yeah i was was trying to decide la or new york and what to do and and uh, he ended up calling me and then uh about five months later i was on my first tour with him wow that's insane now were you a big king diamond fan before you joined the band yeah, well, I mean, the, the first King Diamond album I heard was Abigail, and that was uh, the year it came out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, Mickey D, 
you can't listen to him and be a metal drummer and not be a fan right. of him. Exactly. How did you take, like, when you started the band, um, how did you feel playing Mickey D stuff? Some of his stuff is pretty complicated, especially on them. He seems like he's a very progressive player on that album. Was that easy yeah. for you, like, to pick up all that stuff? Uh, I agree, you know, but that progressive stuff, he, he does it on all the albums here and there. Yeah, um, it seemed like on yeah, them, he yeah, like, really I'd picked agree. it up, though, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. Um, uh, did I find it difficult? Honestly, by that point, where I was with my chops and my and my head and stuff, no, it wasn't because, I, like I said, I'd been scrapping for twenty years already at that point, like playing gigs and learning music all the time, and I I was in school practicing six to eight hours a day, and then playing another six to eight hours a day, yeah. and then gigging those at you know at night you know on the weekends. Um, so at that point, it was just a matter of learning those songs in the process that I already knew and just, mm. just playing them, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, your you... friend... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I, I've seen you say uh, that King Diamond is a heel-up gig. And if you could describe... Heel-up gig, yeah. It's a heel-up gig. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a yep. drum nerd vernacular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, well, there's there's different ways of playing the bass drum. Uh, one is heel up, one is heel down, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and heel up is, um, it facilitates a bigger stroke because you can use the whole leg, whereas if mm -hmm. your heel is down, the, the, that's where the fulcrum is. And and that's kind of, um, it just limits the amount of muscles doing the job. Yeah, but it's a high uh, when energy. You, when you do it the light. Yeah, you can wind up and, and stomp on it. If yeah. you're doing heel up. Mm -hmm. So I, but honestly, like heel up is 99% of what I play. I rarely play heel down. Um, these days, heel down for me is really just for acoustic jazz where the bass drum's tuned wide open and there's like an unmiked piano or an unmiked uh, acoustic bass or something like that. Mm -hmm. The lower dynamics. <laughs> is Mickey D the, your favorite drummer that's been in King Diamond or in, in Merciful Fate? Uh, you know what? The, uh, no. Uh -uh. no. That's complicated, man. Okay, as far as um, drummer, yeah, he's the best drummer yeah. out of all of us. Yep. But artist, I, I think that goes to Snowy, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. Snowy's yeah. like a, he, he's a great drummer, but he's a great visual artist, he's a great guitar player, vocalist, conceptual, writer. You know. yeah. He does, he does it all. Like, he does it all. Yeah. He does it all. Yeah, he's really cool. We had him on the show um, last year. Actually, we just finished up his last episodes a couple of weeks ago. Very, very good interview. Far out, man. Uh, Far out. Yeah, but I think all the drummers are great. You know, um, mm. Bjorn is awesome. Kim mm -hmm. is obviously awesome. He had his 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 seventy swagger to him, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. What can I say? They're all great. Have you ever got to meet up with any of the older ones? Yeah, I met Bjorn a few times. Uh, he lives in Copenhagen. Yeah. Uh, I saw him play in a club in Copenhagen one night. Um, and he was greasy, playing blues, you know. <laughs> um, that was cool. Let's see. Uh, who else did I meet? I know John. John's from around here. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. on, on Voodoo in uh, House of God. Yeah. Um, 
any of the other ones yeah i i, I met up with snowy a few times over the years you know at gigs mm. and mickey a few times at gigs same kind of thing didn't and didn't mickey come out it. on stage didn't did mickey come in on stage one night not too yeah. long ago yeah yeah how was a that times i think yeah, cool. I thought I was going to break my drums. <laughs> really? <laughs> it changed your heads, man. <laughs> well, they weren't my drums, you know. They those were uh, drums I was borrowing, so yeah, oh, okay. it would have been cool. Oh wow! So, do you don't bring your own kit around with you, or how does that work? Yeah, I do now. Yeah, but for that particular tour, when he that yeah that particular tour when he came out, he used. Um, yeah, we were using a borrowing borrow kit, but now that I, I remember, he came out at a festival, I think. Um, after that, and I was using my own drums. I was using my own drums from two thousand, see, two thousand three to two thousand to two thousand six. Mm. No, 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 two thousand six was borrowed. Sorry, man, I was not <laughs> prepared for this question. <laughs> All right, so was I. It just uh, came out of top of my head. <laughs> All right, here it is, man. If you want to nerd out, here it is. The two thousand more, the two thousand one tour in Europe, which was my first tour, I used a borrowed kit, and I used my own for the next two, which were in the USA, and then Europe two thousand six, I used a borrowed kit, uh, and then at the reunion in two thousand twelve, I used a borrowed kit. In 2013, I used a borrowed kit. And then from 2014 on, I used my own kit. Because wow. Tama was like, okay, all right, here's a drum set. <laughs> About time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm more surprised you actually remember all that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, yeah. I know. To me, everything is a blur. It's just all a blur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm actually surprised I remember that, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right, so now you're you're in King Diamond, and he's doing the Abigail Two album. Now you said you started with Abigail, the first original Abigail. What did you think Abigail Two was going to be like? Because Abigail Two, that's that's like the King Diamond album to start with for everybody. And usually when you do a part two, it always you know sometimes it can be a good album, sometimes it might not be. I mean, I like it; I think it's really good. But what what was your expectations of Abigail Two? Um, expectations. I don't know if I had any expectations, really. My attitude going in was to trust the process. You know, King is still a metal legend, and he was back then. So um, I just kind of went with it and brought my own ideas. And uh, I was learning the process along the way. But as far as expectations, I don't really know. It's a good question. You stumped me. <laughs> yeah, so you you were saying you 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 brought your own ideas and you feel you feel like you were given a lot of uh, artistic license, uh, uh, or I'm uh, just wondering how involved were you in the pre production process? Um, do they bring you tracks that have uh, drum ideas on them, or do they want you to come up with your own? That kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> it depends. Uh, it depends on the song. I'm assuming. Well, well, okay. So, um, I'm given demos, right, to mm -hmm. learn the the material, mm. um, and then I come up with uh, as many different. Um, I, I try to, you know, uh, for every song, I try to come up with, up with different alternatives for um, grooves and fills, and then when we go in the studio, um, we start recording, and 
um, uh, some of the stuff ends up the same as the demo, you know, because that's how um, everyone's used to hearing it, I think, mm. including me. Mm. Um, and and then there's some stuff that uh, that I'm able to change, you know, because it's a good idea or whatever or it works for the tune. But also the thing is that um, King knows what's going to happen with the vocals later. Right. Uh, and I don't. So I'm kind of trusting him oh, to do some stuff, you know. Like there was one time where I definitely disagreed with him. Um, it was during the Puppet Master, and I was like, "Why would you do that?" And then when I heard the album with the vocals, I was like, "Oh my god, that is like freaking awesome!" <laughs> <laughs> but I would have never done that, you know what I mean? Well, so what song was I that? I think that that works. That was. Um, Remember? Should I say? All right, it was yeah, magic. It was magic. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was. It, it's a it's a part where the time is kind of flip flopping around. It turns around here and turns around there, and, and I was like, "What? What?" I just couldn't hear it, man. And then uh, when I heard with the vocals, it was just it clicked. Yeah. Oh. Cool. So that that seems unusual to me for you to be working without a demo that has vocals, because to me the vocals are the guidepost yeah. for a lot of of the music. So that's that seems pretty unusual. Or are these songs still in the process of being? written and that's why they're not on there well i it's not very unusual to me to, because uh I, I work that way a lot um i okay. get a lot of guitar scratch tracks you know a lot of the stuff i do is guitar with click and then i don't hear what the vocals are doing until later um now i agree that the vocals help we did um masquerade of madness when we did that we had the vocals and i think that's why that song is is solid you know what i mean yeah in our opinion, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's it seems good odd. It seems odd to me. All right. So, uh, and also on Abigail, too, uh, Hal Patino joined the band again. Um, did you get to talk with the other band members while you were in there recording? Or was everybody kind of doing their own thing? No, yeah. yeah. Everybody came together. They, they all flew over from Europe to do that. Um, and and I I had already hung out with them because that was after the first tour. Mike and Hal also joined at the same time that I did for the European leg of How, the House of God tour. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're still they were still doing House of God. All right. Well, I didn't know that. Well, the first half of the House of God tour was um, the House of God lineup. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think they quit or whatever happened uh, after the first half of it. And then King had the European lineup already booked mm. <laughs> excuse me so that's what i got hired to do initially but i got hired as king diamond's drummer so boom <laughs> how long did it yeah were you still listening to like the king diamond albums like house of god and all that stuff to before you joined uh before i joined no because i was in uh i went to university of north texas and i majored in jazz so yeah. i was in a different world for four years yeah. Well, sort of. I and mean, I was still doing metal, but mostly I was doing jazz. I wasn't really. Um, my focus wasn't on on metal during that time. Yeah. How long did it take you to learn all those songs then? Or how much time did they give you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had plenty of time. I think I had like four or five months, actually. Wow. Oh, okay. so that's, that's plenty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was ready to go. And and then after that, I, I think we had two weeks of rehearsal in two different locations wow. in um, in Denmark. So, yeah, I mean, we were ready. What did you think of that album, House of God? 
Um, House of God, you know, it's um, it's an interesting album. You know, I think it's story driven. Um, I think it's got some really badass riffs on it. Yeah. Like Help, I think is a is really a badass riff. Yeah. Well, I have a question. Uh, so, uh, uh, I did. A, I'm a I'm a blues artist. <laughs> I've I'm a recording artist. I've made a lot of records um, in blues, and I've made one metal album. And uh, so I pretty much played everything but the drums, and I I was gonna try to try to play this. It wasn't gonna happen. So I I got an electronic kit, and I wrote the drums, and I played them shittily, and sent them to the drummer. I mean, they're embarrassing. They're really embarrassing. And uh, so there were there were time for the most part. I was like, this is what I want. This is what I'm hearing. So this is what I want. But every now and then he would say, look, you know. Don't do that. That's, you know, that's too old school or it's, you know, don't do this. Try this. Do this. Do this. And he would fight for it. And so you were talking about you'd have a few arguments about that. Do you feel like that's a, that's a process that uh, did you always feel comfortable doing that? Like right away you were like, no, I'm going to fight for this part. This really works. Or is that something that over the years that you've developed this, you know, familiarity and feel like you can really fight for a part? Um, yeah, I feel like I could fight for a part if I wanted to. And I have. Yeah. Um, and I do. I mean, the last album yeah, we made cool. was Give Me Your Soul, Please. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, there's tension but, uh, you know, I have to say King's very professional about it. You know, he yeah. wants to hear what I have to say. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that it, it, went it went most smoothly on the last one. As, he, as the albums went by, it got smoother and smoother yeah. for sure. But, I, but that, you know, that tension, I think, is something we both welcomed, you know, because we wanted mm -hmm. to work that stuff out. Yeah, and the parts the parts are better for it. You know? That's right. So yeah, so you must be doing something right because so far you've been the longest running drummer in King Diamond. Yeah, maybe it's um, you know I recognize that uh, I should be a, a conduit for King's vision, yeah. and not a resistor. That's not right. my, that's not my job. <laughs> All right, so Abigail, too. Um, any any stories from the recording session? Any, any? Uh, stories from the Abigail two recording session. <laughs> well, it was it was very exciting. You know, it was my first uh, uh, my first big, I guess, professional uh, sort of major label kind of thing. Major to me, anyway. Mm. And uh, there was, I remember, there was a. They did the graph, you know, with the songs and the different parts that needed mm -hmm. to be recorded. And they filled mm -hmm. it out as we went. And that was pretty cool. And um, I did my parts in a week. Um, hung out with Cole a lot, the uh, engineer. He was a cool dude. Ended up hanging out with him a bit after hours. I was a bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> and... Yeah, what can I say, man? It was an exciting time, definitely. You know, yeah. at Nomad to be doing that. Now, was there anything on this album, since this is your first time, um, that you felt like you should have done differently and you tried to 
get him to change it, or how did that work? Well, uh, I mean, there's a lot of things I would have done differently. Mm. Um, you know, if I had my way, the drum sound would be huge, mm. uh, just and there'd be a, a lot of um, thirty-second notes and paramediddles and skip it a diddles bunch of bunch of flim flams. Yeah. That was because that's the one thing. Like when that album came out, a lot of people were saying, or they didn't believe you were actually playing the drums, and it sounded almost like a a, a drum machine or a drum tracks or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. One of the experiences I had there is that I had just come out of you know pretty much UNT and was playing organically and getting a lot of different sounds out of snare drum. Mm. Uh, and one of the, the way they recorded the drums on that album was they put triggers on all the drums mm. and on the kick uh-huh. drum and on the snare drum. And it, it kind of it, it made the feel kind of weird. And then mm. no matter how hard I hit it or how little I hit it, or, it was the same um, same kind of tone, you know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's got a very European kind of production. Um, they're Europeans, man. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do you have a favorite song off the album that you like to play? Uh, man, we did um, we did spirits a lot. Oh, live. that's a good one. I love the chorus in that song. I, I think it's one of his best choruses. Yeah, seriously. I, I mean, the words, the the music, how it comes together, it, it's magic, man. Yeah. I mean, not literally. It's not the song magic. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of magic, have you have you noticed? Have you been around any magical things or any ghostly things since you've been with King? Ghostly things? Yeah. Any, any, anything. <laughs> uh, I, you know what, man? I just, um, I've always been pretty fascinated with the occult and um, aliens and ghosts and stuff like that. But I've never seen anything like that. I think maybe my um, vibration rate is a little too slow or maybe <laughs> too fast. But they're on a different, they're on a different frequency. Yeah. So, you know, like ships in the night. <laughs> Because he's always had nothing, nothing. Wow. Well, because he's always had these stories. Oh, you know, you know, years ago, all these things that used to happen to him. Did he tell ever tell you anything? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's told me a bunch of stories, and mm-hmm. and it's you know, I, there's people who tell me all kinds of stories about yeah. ghosts all the time. You know, and, um, what can I say? I don't know. What's one of the Just good ones? Ah, uh, ghost stories with King. He was in an apartment. Um. It was back. It was a long time ago, so I guess it was in Copenhagen or Denmark where he lived, and uh, he shared it with a couple people. And like, there was all this crazy stuff happening. Like, I guess like the glass moving and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, crazy. Boom! Oh shit! Jesus Christ! <laughs> See, <laughs> you are a scary man. Um, I know. Yes. So, how was the Abigail tour? The Abigail tour, wow, man. Uh, wait, wait, the Abigail tour, the, the Abigail what, two what, tour. Ab- We're talking about Abigail two. God, I, we didn't do an Abigail two tour. No, did we? Mm. no, wow. we did not. My first tour, my tours were uh, as follows. I did the the House of God tour, then we did Abigail two, and we didn't tour for that, and then we did Puppet Master. We toured for that, and then we recorded that and did Deadly Lullabies, and then we toured for that, oh. which was a live album. Right, yeah. Uh, and then we did that in Europe. 
and then we came back and we did give me your soul please and then um we had two tours scheduled for that europe and the us and then king had um yep. a big problem with his back yeah. so we, yeah so we canceled those it was a long break from there on out wow well i had no idea didn't tour for that album that's crazy Especially with everybody back in the band, I figured the band would have been like, you know, this big thing. Especially with Abigail, too. You know, that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, what can he do? All right. I don't know. How are you? <laughs> they, they tell me to go here, I play the drums. That's it. Yep. 